So we have been um, talking about uh, the Stones Remembrance over the last few weeks, and it's, it's been great hearing the stories of what God has done and is still doing uh, here at Summer Church through the people, um, through the church, through the ministry, and it really got me thinking about also how God has been working in our sister church, Open Door, in, in Haiti and the miracles that God has done done there. And that's what we'd like to talk about today. You know, we've talked about all that God has been doing here, but we want to also mention, for especially if you're new, if you're online and you're new, or if you're here on campus and you're new, you haven't heard these stories. So we'd like to kind of bring you up to date on what, all that God is doing uh, at Open Door Church in Haiti, which we're a big part of what's going on there. But before we do that, um, the scripture that we've been reading and kind of taking this whole stones of remembrance off of is Joshua chapter 4, 1 through 9. And I'm going to read that again because then I'm going to tell a story, a quick story about um, something that God did in my life when I was on one of my trips to Haiti. But I'm going to read the scripture first. And it is this. It's Joshua 4, 1 through 9. It says this. So Joshua called together the 12 men that he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. And in the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So the men did as Joshua had commanded them. They took the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed the memorial there. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. And they are there to this day. And it, this you know, really made me think of uh, the people of Haiti um, especially those that are a part of Open Door Church, and um, really the faith that they have. I mean, they don't have hardly anything materially, but their faith uh, just blows me away. And each day, the people, especially of Open Door Church, they will go up to an area, they will go up to a mountain, and they will pray every single day. And when we would go there on trips, You could hear them praying. You could hear them singing up there on the mountain. And this is like, you know, I think about me and how lazy I get sometimes. And it's like, I don't even want to roll out of bed and pray. Yet they're getting up and going up to a mountain and they pray every day. It's just a faith that they have. Well, one of the cool parts about the trips that we would take is we would also be invited to go up to the mountain and take some time to pray. And just it was just a powerful time. Well, I remember one of those times for me, I remember just, you know, just sitting there just quietly and praying and just really saying, God, I want to have the same kind of faith that these people in Haiti have. You know, yeah, I might have stuff in the United States, but I want to have the faith that they have. And it seemed right at that moment that I, I, I sensed God say to me, I am the same God in the United States as I am in Haiti. I'm the same God. I'm the same God of the whole entire universe. I don't change. 
you can have this kind of faith and I will do the same things that you see in Haiti. I will do in the United States. And I'm like, you know, I just felt that. And I also uh, was thinking in my mind, like, you know, well, I don't have a mountain. I live in Florida, obviously no mountains. But I, I sensed that God was like, you just go back to Florida and you create your own mountain. And that's what I did. I came back here and there's a tree that's over by our children's building. And I actually just would use that tree to climb up in and it became my mountain. Now, a branch broke during a storm, and, you know, obviously God, God owns a tree, so I just figured out another branch on that tree, but that was my mountain, and that's a, that's a place. But you can do that yourself as well in any way. But anyway, so when I was there and I was praying afterwards, I thought, you know what? And it reminded me of the story of Joshua. I'm gonna, I want to build a memorial. I want to be this to be something that I remember uh, for, in my life. And so that's what I did. I have a little stone memorial that I think is going to pop up on the screen here in a second. There it is. Obviously, nothing big and fancy, but it was just a thing for me. I felt, like, impressed to build this little memorial, and actually some of the kids there, I think, came and put the flowers on the top of those rocks. It was a little, you know, risky when you're picking up rocks in Haiti. They could be cow poop, could be a rock. I don't know if there's cows all over the place, but it was definitely rocks, and I got those set up. But it was just a, a special time uh, for me, because just a reminder that God's like, yes, I'm a big, big God. And that's one thing Pastor Rajan would say. He's a big, big God. And if we'll have that kind of faith, the faith that they have, we can see the same kind of miracles that we see in Haiti. And we have seen that here in, in Seminole Church. And God has done so much in Haiti. So what we want to do for all of you is kind of share the backstory of what's happened in Haiti and currently what God is up to. So we have, again, Pastor Doug is here, and he wears so many hats. Pastor Doug, for me, really has been one of, a, a huge mentor in my life. You know, when I first became a Christian and then um, started in youth ministry, I volunteered under Doug, and he just kind of mentored me and helped me get into the crazy area of student ministry and <laughs> kind of stuck with that in children's ministry altogether. But Doug is here, wears many hats, but one is he is our resident missionary to Haiti. So welcome, Doug. Glad that you're here. So kind of what we're going to do is just I'll ask some questions, and Doug's going to kind of fill us in on some of this story. Um, and we'll kind of just fill you in on everything that's going on. So, Doug, for the benefit of those who are new to Seminole Church, um, why don't you kind of just give us a recap of how you met Pastor Will John and how all this kind of got started with Open Door? Yeah, really the the beginnings of Open Door for me are a, a miracle in and of themselves. Um, I uh, met Pastor Will John at a conference in Amsterdam that was put on by uh, the Billy Graham organization uh, for over, uh, I think it was about 11,000 pastors and evangelists from around the world. So 200 countries, uh, 10 days, and in those 10 days I met people from over a hundred countries in 10 days. Um, and one of the days walking through the, 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 the big, you know, convention center, um, coming the other direction was this leader as, as, you know, we kind of made eye contact with one another. We, we stopped, we paused, introduced ourselves to one another, began this conversation. And as Pastor Wiljan introduced himself to me, in his broken English, he began to share his story with me. 
and his story just blew my mind. Uh, As he shared with me that at that time, uh, his church in Haiti um, was meeting underneath the mango trees because a witch doctor that year before had thrown a torch into their church building and burned it to the ground. And so they were meeting next to the charred ruins of what was once their church. Um, but his faith just so captivated my heart as he, he, he shared how he had come to know Christ. He was about 20 or 21 years old and felt uh, immediately that he was called to be a pastor. And so he took what little money he had and he bought a bus ticket to go from the rural village where he lived into the city. Um, and he knew that there was a seminary there, a Bible school there that he had heard of. So he shows up on the streets of this city where he has never been before, wandering around, looking lost, trying to find this seminary that he's going to go to. And some woman sees him and asks him if he's lost, and and he tells her he's there uh, to go to seminary, and she says, well, where are you staying? And he said, well, I don't know. God told me I'm to go to seminary, but I don't know where I'm going to stay. And she says, well, you can come and stay with me. And this woman ended up housing and feeding Wiljan for all four years while he was in that Bible college. Um, he uh, made his way to the school and uh, got enrolled and began his classes, but he had no money uh, to pay for his tuition. They scholarshiped him some, but he had to still pay some. And literally, he showed up in Haiti with 50 cents He showed up in in Cap Haitian with 50 cents Haitian in his pocket. That's like a 50 cent Haitian coin is the equivalent of two cents. That's what he had to his name. He said, well, you're going to have to... You're going to have to pay or you won't be able to stay in school. And he was there for a few weeks and still no money. And they kept telling him he was going to have to pay. And finally, one Friday, they said, if you don't have your tuition on Monday, you can't stay in school. Well, he comes back on Monday. And, of course, he has nothing. And they tell him that uh, he can't stay in the school. And so he, he, he leaves. And there's a little church next to where the, the, the Bible school was. And there was some kind of children's program going on. And so he, he just started to do ministry with these kids and is leading them in a song about King David and enthusiastically. And, and as he was, a man from Canada was coming by and he was going to, to visit, uh, visit the school, had a relationship with the school and took notice of Pastor Wiljohn. And when he got into the dean's office, he asked about that young man outside who was working with the kids so passionately. And he said, oh, that, that's a young man who is you know, going to be a student here, but he doesn't have the money for tuition, so he, he can't stay. And this man from Canada said, well, I will pay his tuition. And he paid for all four years of Bible college. And well, Jean didn't meet him at that point, never met him, in fact, until years later after he had graduated four years of college plus room and board, God take caring of, taking care of it all with just 50 sensation in his pocket. He, he's nearing graduation from from uh, from Bible college and knows that God has called him to be a pastor, but he doesn't know where. He goes up on a mountain 
to pray. And as he comes down the mountain from prayer, um, there's a taxi coming by. And, and so he gets a ride. He's going back to the school. And, and as the driver asks him where he's going, he says, oh, I'm, I'm going back to the seminary. I'm a pastor. Oh, you're a pastor. Where's your church? He says, well, I don't have a church. And it just so happened that this driver knew of a little village about 20 miles from there where there had been a Baptist church, but the pastor had died seven years earlier. The church, the church sat empty, had been taken over by the local market, by, the, by voodoo, witchcraft, by the witch doctors, and there was no church in that village at the time. And he said, you should go. You should talk to that family of that pastor. They still own that land, that building. You should ask them if you can have a church there. So Will John gets on his bicycle and rides his bicycle over these dirt roads 20 miles into this village. He ends up starting a church in that village. The very first Sunday, he's telling me this story, the very first Sunday, he shows up there and no one comes to church. Not a single person. But he preaches anyway. And I said, well, Sean, you, why did you preach? No one was there. And he said, well, I didn't know who was supposed to be there, but I knew God was there and I was there, so we were going to have church. And well, Sean did this week after week, preaching to no one until one day, walking through the village, there was this young man. He struck up a conversation with him. It turns out that young man was apprenticing to be a witch doctor. And he led that young man to faith in Jesus Christ. And when the people in the village found out about this young preacher who had a power that was greater than the power of the witch doctors, oh, now people started to come to the church. Well, John shared with me the story of uh, how he met his wife, and this will blow your mind. Right? One day he's in the, he's in the city. And he's like the guest preacher at a church. And after he's finished preaching, a woman who was sitting in the front row, she comes up to him and she says, oh, good message, pastor. Well, later that afternoon when he was, when he was uh, back where he was staying and he was on his knees and he was praying, he just felt like God had said to him, well, John, the woman who said to you, good message, pastor, she is to be your wife. Hmm. And well, John starts arguing with God. I, I don't even know her. I don't love her. How can she be my wife? And he's, you know, having this wrestling, this argument with God until finally he realizes, if I don't obey God in this, he will take his hand of blessing off me and my ministry. I must do this. So the next day, he finds out where she lives. He shows up to her house. He knocks on the door. She opens the door and she says, oh, pastor, hello, good to see you. He's like, no. I must tell you something. Okay? God has told me that you are to be my wife. He's like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Do you love me? Of course I don't love you. I don't even know you. But God has told me that you are to be my wife. Now, she's a wise woman. She said, well, if God has told you that, he's going to have to tell me that also. Because mm -hmm. I know some teens that would try that. Yeah. <laughs> Three days later, she comes back to him and she says, God has told me that I'm to be your wife. 
And three weeks later, they are married. Now, it's the the week leading up to his wedding, and someone from his church comes up to him, and the man says, well, Sean, I heard the good news. You're getting married. This is great. Um, Where are you going to live? And he says, well, I don't know. God told me I'm to get married, but he didn't tell me where I was going to live. And the man said, well, I'm going back to stay with family in the United States. You can have my house. Well, John is telling me story after story. I'm blown away. Now, at that time in my life in ministry, primarily focused on on youth and evangelism and doing youth conferences. And was on after a couple of years of corresponding after being in Amsterdam, he said, oh, you you must come to Haiti and do a youth conference. And so I got a friend and, and we went to Haiti to do a youth conference and to share Jesus with the youth there. I just remember getting off the plane and literally the poverty assaulted my senses. Um, Driving through the streets and seeing um, little children half-clothed running barefoot through the streets, through the the filth in the gutter, Um, you know, obviously malnourished, Heartbreaking, and I can remember driving over the bridge um, in the city. And as we're driving over the bridge, all of a sudden, this foul stench starts to waft into the car. And you know, his car had no air conditioning, and so I reached down and I'm rolling. You know, it wasn't like a button that you push to make the window go up. You know, crank it as fast as I can, get the window up, but I can't get it up fast enough. And now the stench is in the car and it's trapped in my nostrils. And as we're going over the bridge there, I see where it's coming from. It's the city dump with just piles and piles of filth and trash. And there are people in the dump combing through the trash, looking for something of value. Mm-hmm. Uh, we took we took money to feed the the kids while we were doing this youth conference for that week. But I remember it was the very uh, uh, end of that. It was uh, Sunday after church, and sitting down for lunch with the leaders from the church and just asking them, "What's your what's your vision? What's the dream?" And uh, they began to share with me that they wanted to they wanted to buy the land that their church building sat on, you see, because the year before I, I came for the first time, a church from Ohio had found out about this little church in Haiti that had their church burned down, and they sent in a team to, to build them a new church building. And so they had, they had this church building, and they owned literally just the land underneath, like, exactly what the building sat on, nothing around it. We want to buy the land. We want to build a school and have a medical clinic and an orphanage. And I said, well, how much, how much would the land cost? And they said, $20,000. And I thought, like, it's about three acres. Like, in the middle of nowhere in Haiti, this piece of dirt costs 20 I mean, I, I, I couldn't believe it. But thankfully, those weren't the words that came out of my mouth. I said, well, I believe that your vision is from God. 
and I will pray with you that he provides everything that you need. And uh, I mean, that, that seemed like the right answer, right? Mm-hmm. The good answer, the spiritual answer, but I had no idea how God was actually going to answer those prayers. Like six months later, I brought a little mission team and, and uh, a second trip in Haiti, and they're going to do a VBS kids program. And when I was there previously, I, I noticed that in the church that they had rebuilt that there was no benches for the people to sit on, so everyone was just sitting on the dirt floor inside this building. So I thought, well, we can raise some money and we can build some benches. And then some people from here at Seminole said, hey, could they use a guitar? And, you know, so I had a couple guitars that I took and, you know, you know a cheap keyboard or whatever. Um, so we came with all of this. And it's the very last night of that trip. It's after the meal where our little mission team is staying and Will John looks at us and tells us that at the beginning of that year, he'd been up on the mountain praying and God had told him that by the end of the year, their church building would be finished. That the walls would be plastered and painted, that a concrete floor would be poured, that they'd have benches to sit on and that they would have instruments for worship. Now, when I was there six months earlier, floor wasn't done, walls weren't plastered and painted, no benches, none of that was there. Now, six months later, concrete floor is poured, walls are plastered and painted. We built the benches. I brought some instruments. And it's just like, wow, God did all this. And Will John said, God has done everything that he said he would do, except we still don't have a drum set and a bass guitar. And I'm thinking, well, close enough, right? <laughs> I mean, look at everything everything that's happened. Um, and it's like second week of December at this point. And Will John, what he says next would change my faith forever. As he looked around the circle of us, And he said this, but there are still three weeks left. Mm. Wow. The faith to believe. God said it. He's going to do it. Mm. Two days after getting home from that trip, I get a call from my friend in New Jersey who'd been on the trip with us. And he said, Doug, you're not going to believe this. I was sharing with my, my family about the miracles that God is doing in Haiti. And my brother says, well, I've got a bass guitar and an amp sitting in my closet that I haven't played in over two years. I'll give that to Haiti. Doug, we have a bass guitar and an amp. And I'm like, yes, this is awesome. This is... That's on a Thursday. Then on Saturday, I get a call from another pastor who we'd met from Ohio. We'd met him in Haiti, and he called and said, uh, Doug, I, I, I got your number, and um, I've, I've just found out that there is a group that wants to build a school for Pastor Will John. All of, uh, I mean, all of the, the, the materials are already there in Haiti, ready to go. But the thing is, they have to own the land. The church has to own the land if they're going to build the school on it. Otherwise, they'll build it for another church. Oh, and they need to know by next Wednesday, we have five days. 
But I'm thinking there is no way that we cannot have that school. And so I send out some emails, make some phone calls. That pastor did as well. Within 24 hours, the $20,000 was raised. I called Pastor Will John that Monday morning and told him about the land and the school, and he was freaking out on the phone. He was so excited. Praise the Lord in Haitian, and just over and over and over and over. Um, Well, then that night, that same friend from New Jersey, Monday night, calls me back again, and he says, hey, Doug, have you heard the, 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 the good news? And I was like, you mean that we raise the money and can buy the land? He's like, oh, no. Um, yeah, I was talking with my sister-in-law and her boyfriend, who's not even a Christian, and telling them about what God is doing in Haiti. And the boyfriend, who's not even a Christian, says, well, I guess I know the good deed that I need to do this Christmas. I'm going to give my drum set to Haiti. <laughs> Doug, we have a drum set. And I'm like... <laughs> Okay, we have a drum set and a bass guitar and an amp in New Jersey. Um, But this is great. (laughs) Literally, the next night, I get a phone call from another friend who knows none of this. Another friend from New Jersey who says, Hey, Doug, are you going to be home this Christmas? Um, Yeah, why? What's what's up? Well, I know you you travel a lot, and I'm actually going to be moving my dad down to Tampa, and I'll be there the day after Christmas. And I'd love to love to come by and connect with your family. And I said, no, wait a second. You have a moving truck mm-hmm. coming from New Jersey to Florida the day after Christmas. You wouldn't happen to have room on that truck for a drum set and a bass guitar. It shows up at my house the day after Christmas. The next day, I'm driving it to South Florida where Missionary Flights, this missionary organization, puts it on their plane. The next day, it lands in Haiti before the end That's of crazy. the year. And I am thinking, my God can do anything, anything. Yeah, that's awesome. Absolutely. I, I mean, I could sit here all day and just listen to stories. I know we have to go, and I'll get you out on time, but it's, it's amazing to listen just what God Well, that was a drum set and a bass guitar and, and land yeah. and a school. Yeah. But God was using that to grow my faith, mm. to trust him yeah. for so yeah. much more. The miracles that we've seen over the last 15 years are just yeah. beyond Amazing. words. They are beyond words, absolutely. Um, well, and so thinking about how we've been implementing the peace plan in Haiti, which the peace plan you can see is on your outline. Those are the planting churches, equipping leaders, assisting the poor, caring for the sick, and educating the next generation. Um, just thinking about planting churches, uh, what, maybe what's your favorite story um, about planting churches and what that's been like in Haiti? Yeah, so when I first showed up in Haiti 2003, um, there was just that one church out in a rural village about 20, 20 miles outside the, the city. Um, today, there's 33 churches Um, so 18 years, um, and the, the, we really began planting churches year after year in 2008, 2009. Um, and it's, 
at first it was one church a year and then two churches a year and now it's three or four or five it just keeps keeps multiplying but but very much tied into our our one year bible training program soim that we were uh began in 2008 um every year that group had a a group project to plant a church mm-hmm. And we'd select a, a, a village, and we'd send them out on on trips, and they'd go and they'd they'd go hut to hut and share Jesus with people, and and begin discipling people, and and eventually we'd have a group of believers, and we'd start a start a church in that village. Um, so we're about uh, three four years into that process, and one of the young leaders who who comes to that year long program, twenty uh, year old kid named Odimon who is from a village that's on the top of a mountain. It's about as remote as you can imagine. Two-hour hike to get up to this village. Uh, There's no road to get to the village. You can't get there by motorcycle, by truck, by horse, nothing. I mean, it's all rock and boulder and navigating through to get up there. And uh, that's the village where where he, he was from. And um, we had people who had, from that village had come down to another church that we had planted, found Christ, and, and wanted to have a church up in their village, village of about a 1,000 people. And so Odiman was sent to our one-year uh, Bible school training program. And uh, the pastor of the church up on the mountain uh, in Magwayav was illiterate, couldn't read, couldn't write, so needed someone with some education, some training, who could go back and equip the people there. And so Odiman uh, came, went back to his village, ended up becoming the pastor of that church. Mm-hmm. Within a, a, a few years, he ended up getting married, and his wife from what was from another village down, uh, down in the valley, uh, opposite direction, and so had a, a heart to plant a church where she was from, and so he planted a church there uh, and raised up another person to be a pastor in that church, and, and then had a, a vision to plant another church um, down across another valley and up another mountain like his and planted a church there. And now he's pastoring churches on two mountains going back and forth. Um, But there in Magwayav, this village of a thousand people where there was no church, no school, no believers. Today, over four Hundred people are attending that church every Sunday. Four hundred out of a thousand people have found faith in Jesus Christ. We started a Christian school there. We're educating the kids. Um, God is doing miracles through this young man, Odiman. In fact, uh, he hadn't even finished high school when he, he came to our one-year training program, because so, particularly in his village, but so many um, either uh, because of lack of opportunity or lack of funds, um, they're not finishing high school until they're 20, 21, 22. So he hadn't even finished yet. Um, but he ended up uh, finishing a few years after going through, through our program, and then uh, we'd expanded the one year to, to adding a full four-year Bible college. 
Um, and he went through that. And just this past June, we had our very first graduating class yeah. from our Bible college. And he was among the very first graduates. That is awesome. So That is very cool. Yeah. And what were you saying that like, he is it him who was who uh, now teaching Greek? No, no. But some of our some, some of our first uh, first graduates from our one year training program ended up going to uh, a seminary in the city and now have come back and are a part of that Bible school that we have, you know, serving as as dean or teacher. Yeah. And, you know, one of them is is teaching Hebrew and Greek. Just imagine how that's, crazy that is. That's amazing. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, just about how like you can be involved. Obviously, we can be praying, but just to some things like with them planting churches, you know, it takes a pastor to lead those churches, and those pastors have to be supported. So there's a way that you can support if you financially. It takes about what 250 a month to support a pastor there at, at these different churches. So if that's something God is like tugging on your heart, that's a way you can help. I mean, you mentioned uh, School of Youth Ministry and equipping the leaders there and just what God is doing through that. Um, you can also help because obviously they need resources to be able to go to the to this school. So that's another another way that you can help as well is to help these students to be able to go through this training and many of these then are becoming the pastor of these other churches. Yeah, in fact, all 33 of Open Doors churches are being pastored by someone who's come through that one year Wow. one-year training program and you know it's the like right from the very like it's very intentional everything that we're doing with them to equip them to be able to to reach people for Jesus and you know the very first week that they're there um, I'm there teaching and training them how to share the gospel with people in a very simple process and how to share the message and then you know, after after training them for an hour in that, we send them out for an hour, two by two, out into the village, hut to hut, to share Jesus with people. They come back and they share the stories of 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 what God has done, and um, you know, it's always fun. They they talk about how many fishes they have because mm. you know Jesus sends them out to be fishers mm -hmm. of of people, and so I got two fishes. I got you That's know, cool. but um, uh, you know, a couple of years ago we had you know, two of these young men come back and they're sharing this story. And as they're, they are, they, they take a ring out of their pocket and they give it to Pastor Peter, who's my, my translator there. And they tell the story and then Pastor Peter translates it for me. And he says, oh, they were sharing Jesus with a young man who's apprenticing to be a witch doctor. And as they did, the conviction of the Holy Spirit fell over him. He wanted to give his life to Jesus. And, and as he did, he took this ring off his finger. And he said, I have worn this ring to pledge my life to Satan. But I no longer belong to Satan. I belong to Jesus. Take this ring. God is using these young leaders. He's using uh, Open Doors churches. Like in, in that village in Wadlance where our first church was planted, it was dominated by voodoo and witchcraft mm. for years and years. But the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the light of the gospel has driven out the darkness. You go to that village with us now, and at night you sleep peacefully without hearing the beating of the voodoo drums because the power of the gospel 
has driven it away. Yeah, I think I remember my my first trip. The, there were still some drums there, and by the time my last trip, all gone. Yeah, yeah pretty amazing, amazing yeah. stuff. So obviously, then the orphanage is close to our hearts here at Seminole Church as well, and we we just champion that ministry. So, why don't you explain how the orphanage came to be at Open Door? Uh, yeah, we had, um, you know, from the very beginning, as as the church leaders there shared their vision, they wanted an orphanage, and and we had someone along the way who donated some some money for us to buy a small piece of land, um, but really it wasn't until the earthquake in 2010 that devastated Haiti, and we just knew that the orphan crisis there would be um, insurmountable, and we knew um, we have to build this orphanage now. And I just felt after, after going and visiting uh, Haiti, I was there 72 hours after the earthquake, and came home from that just with his deep sense in my heart that God was saying, we need to raise $100,000 in 100 days to build this orphanage now. And as we shared that, you know, here at Seminole and with other churches around the area and different parts of the country and, and ministry supporters, God did it. $100,000 in 100 days was given for us to begin to build that orphanage and uh, our church was so much a part of that, sending teams to, to help with the construction of that orphanage. In fact, um, a young man from our church here, Chris Richardson, he had gone and actually lived there in Haiti for three months to oversee construction project as teams were coming in. We had someone from our church here who, who did the architectural you know, design of all of that. And so Seminole, very much a part of that from from the very beginning, but then I can remember when it was all done and the kids were moved in and we went um, for kind of a, uh, a dedication, a mm-hmm. grand opening. And I remember Pastor Will Jean sharing the story of the first time that he went when the kids were there just, just a, a month before we had our grand opening. And um, the kids were coming up to him and pulling on his pant leg or grabbing his arm, wanting him to pull in this direction or that direction. Papi was on, Papi was on, Papi was on. And finally he let him drag him this way and they, they were dragging him and they wanted to show him their bed. Because for every single one of them, it was the first time in their life that they actually had their own bed. In fact, for every one of them, it was the first time in their life that they'd even slept on a bed yeah. and not on a blanket, on a dirt floor, in a hut. And Wilshaw was so overwhelmed with what these children had been rescued out of, just began to weep and his heart couldn't couldn't handle it. He said, I couldn't go, I couldn't go back to the orphanage for a few weeks after that because it was just so overwhelming for me um, to see the difference that God has made in these kids' lives mm. and the part that, that we've been able to, to play yeah. in that. Yeah. And they're our kids. Yeah. 
they're our kids. Yeah, and, and we love that we get to be a part of that. And you can still be a part of that. I mean, we're, you can sponsor an orphan. How, how many kids are in the orphanage? So right we now? have uh, 49 or 50. Okay. And when we started, it was 25. And then um, about five years ago, we expanded, built another wing, um, and uh, double the capacity and have about 50 kids. Yeah, so these room. kids aren't orphans anymore. These are, these are our kids. These are God's kids, and God's doing some big things. And our lives. director from the orphanage is a graduate of our one-year Bible program. Wow. And her husband, who is the chaplain at the orphanage and is teaching them English, is a graduate of our one-year training wow. program. Yeah. So... It all makes such a difference. I mean, even if you don't sponsor, we're going to be sending a, a container um, in December uh, to Haiti. So if you, they need school clothes, they need shoes, um, any of that stuff, and we can send it on the send that on the container that's going to be going in December. So then, when we think about caring for the sick, how does Open Door care for the sick? What does that look like? Yeah, we had. Um built a small little medical clinic there in 2009 and for several years it just functioned that way and it was um, you know we had uh, a part-time doctor and a, f- a full-time nurse kind of a Monday to Friday nine to five clinic that was running um, uh, but th- the need is so great a village of about 30,000 people and this is the only opportunity for medical care this is instead of going to a witch doctor this mm. is where they go to get real medical care and um, so we expanded and you know added a pharmacy and uh, um, uh, uh, laboratory to, to, to do tests um, and then ended up building a second floor on top of that and adding a labor and delivery wing and then the, 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 the Haitian government felt like <clears throat> the clinic was d- doing such an amazing job I mean we're treating over a thousand patients a month at our little clinic uh, that uh, they said this this needs to be a hospital open seven days a week 24-7. And so we continue to expand and now have four doctors and multiple nurses and all of these <clears throat> these things going on. <coughs> and so, uh, but, you know, maybe, uh, maybe some of the most exciting stories there are that, from my very first trip in 2003, some of the young people from the church um, had a vision wanting to see, you know, medical care in their own village. And we ended up, you know, raising funds to send one off to nursing school, another mm-hmm. off into the Dominican to, to medical school, another to be a lab tech. You know, all of them are back in their own village mm-hmm. serving their own people. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. That's so good. So um, that's another way that you can also get involved when you think of the pregnancy center. I mean, they need donations of baby clothes, diapers, formula, baby toys, and again, that can be sent on the container that's going uh, in December. Uh, And then when we think about uh, educating the next generation, you shared even last service, like about Pastor Jerry's first trip that he went. Can you kind of explain that with the the educating the next generation, the feeding center and and all that? Yeah, so it was... It was 2006 that Pastor Jerry joined me on his very first trip, and every time that that we would take a trip, you know, we'd raise the funds and we would feed the kids, you know, and they'd they'd get their plate of, you know, rice and beans and chicken drumstick and 
<clears throat> and uh, so this trip was no different. And w- one day while the, the kids are out there sitting sitting in the dirt out around the church and under the mango trees and eating every last grain of rice off their plate, mm-hmm. um, except for some of the girls, they would, they would just eat half their, their food and then they would fold their plate in half to take the rest home to their mom. So she would have something to eat that day. Um, and uh, Pastor Jerry uh, leaned over to me and he asked, so how often do the kids get to eat like this? And I don't think he was prepared for mm. the answer that I gave him when I said, as often as we come. Well, what do they eat when we're not here? Maybe they are able to find some some rice or they... You know, eat a banana or a mango or, um, you know, a piece of bread or something, you know, to quell the pangs of hunger. And um, Pastor Jerry was just so broken, and he said, we can do this. We can feed these kids every day. And, um, you know, <clears throat> at that point, we had 250 kids in the school. Now we've got, with all of our churches that are planted, a lot of these rural villages, we've got got schools there as well. So, But at that time, 250 kids, and within about three, four months, um, we had raised up enough sponsors so that we could not only educate but feed those kids every single day that they were at school. Um, now that's grown. You know, now we've got... 2,500 kids across all of yeah. all of our, our schools, and you know the need continues to grow as we have the orphanage as well. But um, you know how incredible to be there and to see the difference that's made in a kid's life. I mean, Pastor Will John's vision has been from the very beginning: if you want to ha- and if you want to change Haiti, mm. you have to invest in the next generation. Mm. You have to invest in the kids, and they need to be educated, and they need, to, they need Jesus, and we need to raise them up. They, they need to be able to eat and be clothed and be educated so that they can be the leaders that are going to change this country. Yeah. And so from the very beginning, that's been the vision hmm. to, to impact that next generation. Yeah, and, and if you ever get a chance to go to watch these kids when they, when they come there and they go to school, they're just so happy. I mean, you can see the joy in their faces, and um, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Our family has been a part of this. We've been sponsoring a particular boy for many, 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 many years. So um, we can all do this together and really make a difference in, in Haiti. Um, really, as little as $25 a month, you can help um, these kids get all this, get the, get the food and health care, education, all the stuff they're getting to make a difference to change Haiti, and it's working, and it's been amazing to watch God work through all these. Now, when we talk about this, you know, our role, I mean, it's far from finished. This story is far from finished. There, um, there are many more miracles that God's going to do in Selma Church, many more miracles that God's going to do in Haiti, and we're excited to be a part of it, and we can all continue to be a part, whether it's just you pray. Just make it, make it you know, take the time to pray. That's huge. Um, Many of us can give. Give if you can give. And then some of us, when we have opportunities, should go. And it is a life-changing trip. Um, every time I've taken students to go there, it changes their world when they see um, 
what a place that's not that far away, how they live, but then they see the faith. And, you know, they think that they're going to make a difference in these Haitians' lives, but what happens is those Haitians make a difference in their lives, and it changes them forever. So, Doug, thank you so much for sharing these stories with us. And um, one last thing is our the hope boxes. So this is something that we have for Christmas. Uh, yeah, we... Um December 9th to the 16th, we're going to have a shipping con- container uh, on our property here that's going to uh, take all of our hope boxes for the kids to Haiti uh, from our church, from other churches that are, are sending them in. Um, we have 200 of these. Actually, the first service took a bunch, so less than 200 now, but we would love for our church to, uh, to empty all of these from from the lobby so yeah. that, that all of those are filled with, with, with gifts for the, the kids, but then also um, clothes and shoes, particularly for the orphanage. You know, most of our original kids, you know, they're, they're 12 to 18 years old now, and so those teenage years growing fast and, mm. you know, rough on clothes, rough on shoes, and so um, we just continually need to uh, get them uh, those basic necessities. Yeah. So we want to want to fill up that container with Great. those things. Cool. Thank you. Yep. All right. Well, I'm going to pray for us. Um, thank you again for being here and sharing in these stories with us. Lord, we just want to we want to give you thanks. We are grateful for the amazing God that you are. I know sometimes we can get so much just stuck in the routine of our everyday lives and the busyness and then maybe some of the frustrations that we forget that you are still in control. You're the same God in the United States as you are in Haiti. Those same miracles are happening here. God, help us not to forget that you are always at work. You never stop working. You just invite us to join in with you in this work. So, Lord, remind us of this each and every day. Jesus, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for salvation. It's all because of you that we can even do any of this. So we're just so grateful. God, I just pray that you would bless Haiti that you would bless Open Door Church, that you would continue to use them to change the nation, and, Lord, that you would also use Seminole Church to change our community, which then will eventually change the nation. So we just give you all the thanks and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, it's Mal again. It's so exciting to see how God is working in the lives of his people all over the world. Thanks for worshiping with us today, and enjoy the rest of your weekend. See ya.